When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now, recording right in the middle of a thunderstorm here in New York, so if you hear that, consider it atmospheric sound effects. But again, we have an incredibly packed episode. First, we're going to talk to Simon Vozik levinson about some of the best indie albums of 2022 so far. And then we have Britney Spanos to talk to us about the state of Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber's tour is back on, so we're going to use that as an excuse to take a look at the state of his career. And while we're at it, we're also going to touch on what's going on with Kanye West, who just canceled yet another festival appearance at the last minute. And then finally, we have some extra from my newsmaking interview with Wolfgang Van Halen where he talks about his next album as Mammoth WVH and also what happened with that supposed Eddie Van Halen tribute that was in the works. Wolf talked to me on the year anniversary of his debut album Mammoth WVH. But let's start with the year in indie. Last week, we talked about some of the best pop albums of 2022 so far, and I thought it'd be a good time to also look at the year in indie. And to do so, I have with me Simon Vozik-Levinson, an album that I think is really excellent as Mitski's Laurel Hell. And as she told our own Angie Martosio, she almost quit making music. This album is sort of what came out when she decided not to quit music. For me, it's her best album in some time. I think someone jokingly called it a pop sellout move because it has <laughs> these real Giorgio Moroder rhythms to it. And she even mentioned Hall and Oates as a secret influence. So it's actually pretty bright and melodic and poppy for her. I think some of the weird stuff she does is really fascinating and Kate Bush-like and Bjork-like. But this tames that a little bit and it has some really soaring beautiful moments on it I think yeah I mean you, you listen to a song like The Only Heartbreaker that song almost sounds like aha you know it sounds like Take On Me it- It, it turns out Mitski is actually great at that. You might not have expected it, but her voice really fits with those huge kind of 80 synths in, in a way that's really cool and surprising. Makes more sense when you really listen to the record why she was opening for Harry Styles on tour. The reports back have been that she utterly baffled some of his fans with her arty stage moves and, and performance art stuff, but musically it makes sense maybe presentation wise it was a little baffling for some of the younger Harry Styles fans I hope those Harry fans go back and listen to Mitski's older records they'll find a lot of cool stuff there I do think this is one case I mean interviews with Mitski and I think it's it has to do with the way interviewers approach her as well they tend to be extremely intellectualized and a little bit anguished and I think this is an album that probably works best on its own without without her press presence interfering it's really a pretty broadly appealing album I don't know if some fans think it's a sellout, but I, I really enjoy it. I think, yeah, I mean, you know, Mitski is someone who she's a really smart and thoughtful person who takes her art making super seriously and thinks about it a lot. It's true that if you kind of subtract that and just listen to, you know, the songs on Laura Hull, it's a, a really enjoyable and rewarding listen. But you still don't think it's her best album, right? To me, Mitski's best album is always going to be the album Puberty 2 from 2016. That had this kind of raw intensity and really daring, fearless, creative choices on that album that, uh, for me, that's always going to be the peak. But yeah, listen to Laura Hall. That's a good one, too. My feeling is it's probably her best one since that one. She made a huge number of fans with Be the Cowboy, the album she put out in 2018. That's a, a great record, too. To me, Laura Hall is a little bit more even and consistent and complete a record. We should talk 
about Wet Leg. Wet Leg are this band that literally seemed to come out of nowhere, except not because they had a lot of famous fans before they really even came out. There was just a lot of local buzz around them. They signed to Domino. People got confused and thought they were quote-unquote industry plants because there was no social media buzz before they got signed. Their local performances were just incredibly well-received and just started this buzz. I mean, Iggy Pop was talking about them. Alex from Friends. Ferdinand was talking about them way before any of the internet buzz started. And that's how I first heard of them. As soon as their first singles arrived, it became clear that this was a hilarious, really talented group. Chase Lounge was first. Just this unbelievably funny but also musically great song last year and then came Wet Dream which was very much in the same vein if not even funnier and more entertaining. What blows my mind is the videos of them at Glastonbury and stuff playing to like 100,000 people screaming along the Chaise Lounge. I mean, how crazy is that? It's wild. Yeah, that's a really fun record. And you're right. I mean, this is a story that we're told time and again can't happen anymore, where you just have a band from a random place that's just so good that when people hear their music, they become fans instantly and it kind of blows up overnight. It, it can still happen. You, know, you don't have to have a huge marketing budget to actually just be great. And I think that what like are a case of that happening. It's also true of Phoebe Bridge and a few other artists whose sound really harkens back in some ways to the early 2000s or earlier while also being super modern is their music is really cross-generationally appealing. That's why you had A-pop and stuff talking about them, but they also have, you look at the Glastonbury crowd and it's all people like under 20. I think they, watching them is really funny at these huge festival appearances because you could tell they thought they were going to be successful, but maybe not like main stage at Glastonbury successful. Yeah, they're a band that, you know, on on one level, they're as indie as it gets. They're just two best friends making a record on their own. On the other hand, they have an audience that's so huge that you almost start to question, is there anything actually indie about this? Is this just rock or is this just pop music now? They're signed with Domino, and the music itself really could be part of that 2004 indie boom lit, you know? And then the talk singing is very much in a, I I mean, I don't know where you'd place that exactly in the continuum, but it's very much a talking headsy or just like a a very indie-ish thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a really hot sound right now. Another band out of England that I love that does that is Dry Cleaning. They put out a great record last fall. Many years have passed, but you're still charming. Rose falling and exploding. You can't save the world. That, you know, does that kind of like cool, removed, detached, talk singing vocal style with these just like huge bashing British guys playing guitars. It's a cool combination. People loved it 20 years ago and it it turns out people still like it now. What's cool about some of the albums we're going to talk about is there are a bunch of sort of veteran acts that have made really good albums mixed with younger acts. The most veteran among them being Wilco. Their album is Cruel Country. It is, at least press release wise, it is a Wilco Country album purportedly, which obviously is a full circle thing for them. It's returning to where they came from, which was something they used to call alt-country. My friends are probably tired of hearing me tell them that the new Wilco record every few years is an incredible game-changing Wilco record. (laughs) This one really is. They've made a lot of really great albums. This one, I don't know that it's really a country album so much as it's really, I think, what Jeff Tweedy is talking about when he says that, is it's an album of really strong, considered songwriting. And it's a real live-sounding record. It's recorded by a band in a room together, which wasn't the case on the last few Wilco albums. That gives it a real kind of warm, soulful, lived-in feel feeling that maybe country is one way of talking about that. Really warm, sort of classic Rocky, and very, very accomplished. It's one of the things that's nice about a band staying together for quite so long. I'm tired taking it out on you. Latter-day Wilco, I guess sometimes I'm waiting for it to ascend to the levels of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and stuff, and sometimes it doesn't quite, for me, ascend to that sort of transcendent level and instead hits pretty good to excellent. I think it's fair to say that like you listen to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot or A Ghost is Born and those are undeniably kind of hitting a certain kind of peak intensity. What's happening there is that Wilco at that time was trying to explode the whole idea of who they were, you know, discover a new planet, a new universe. now it's more about trying to just capture what life really is like what it's really like to be a person 
growing, having experiences, you know, and so on. And so maybe that doesn't blow your mind quite as much, but there's something really richly rewarding about that on those later Wilco albums. Love my country like a little boy. And before we move on to younger acts and then back to veteran acts, let's talk about another act who've just been around forever and you know they've been on the podcast as has Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Boom. They made this album called Lucifer on the Sofa and it's quite excellent and I think the world just doesn't know what to do with that. What do you do with a band that's been together since the 90s who haven't had a major disruption in their personnel who there's no huge story it's just they're excellent and I think unfortunately the world starts going like great songs great songwriting great recording great performance so what and it's a little frustrating but the music is just great. They're an incredibly consistent band and and that's something they can kind of come back to bite them in a it's way. Worked it's against them, like, yeah. Right, it's just like here's like another great spoon album, you know, it, it it it's the same every time in that it's always great. This one I would say is a little different from the last few Spoon records. It rocks a little bit harder. I talked to Britt Daniel a couple years ago when they were first working on it, and he talked about wanting to connect to the doors and, you know, the stones, and he's like, really, you know... <laughs> it sounds nothing it, like the doors for the record. <laughs> it does not actually sound like the doors, but, but, you know, those aren't, like, hip, fashionable references, but to him, I think he was trying to talk about you know, the records that meant something to him when he was a, a young person picking up a guitar for the first time. And, and that you do get from this record. There's a, an excitement and enthusiasm in his playing that, that's pretty cool to hear. You took off in the dead of night But before you did So this is a band that has so much discourse around it and it seems like you're either a super fan or you don't care at all and it's Big Thief and their album is this massive double album, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. And it's one of those things, even just the title alone is just, you know, you're either a believer or you're not. I tried to tell you But it's weird. Sometimes, personally, I am. Sometimes I'm not. Maybe you can do this first. Place Big Thief into context for us. Big Thief have this intense kind of cult-like fan base. People love Big Thief. There's no half-liking Big Thief. You have to either not get it at all or just completely love it. And there was a time when I, I was one of the people who didn't totally get it until what changed it for me was actually seeing them in concert and seeing the kind of intense connection that Adrian Linker, the singer, has with her bandmates, but also with the crowd. I saw a club full of young audiences hanging on every word, every note of every guitar solo. And that's a pretty remarkable thing to see. It kind of stops you in your tracks and makes you understand, you know, what's going on there and why people care about a band like Big Thief so much. Yeah, and they're, they're a Brooklyn four-piece. They're on Saddle Creek. I guess if you think of the early Bright Eyes stuff, it's not like wildly out of sync. That With that kind of vibe, it's very, it's very passionate, it's very folky. Okay, try to say this five times fast. <laughs> they're a little bit like a freak folk Fleetwood Mac. It's a little bit There, there is a little bit of that. I know that, that, you know, Big Thief talked about wanting to make this album their tusk. It's a double album. There's a lot going on on it. You know, it's not a straightforward, you know, rock record by any means. It's got a lot of sides to it. It's a great album. I mean, I think you listen to a song like Spud Infinity. That's like a song that shows there's a sense of humor. What's it gonna take? What's it gonna take? You know, people take Big Thief really seriously, both pro and con, but they themselves kind of approach their music with kind of a lightness and a, a sense of fun that comes through on songs like that and, and helps you understand what's going on there. Yeah, any other songs stand out to you on that one? Little Things, Little Things, great, really classic Big Thief sounding kind of Big Thief song. <laughs> Yeah, 20 songs on that album. It's a lot of Big Thief. And that's part of the thing, too, is you have to really, you know, buy the ticket, take the ride with Big Thief. You can't kind of half like this band. An artist who just keeps evolving in really interesting ways and I think made a really beautiful album this time around is Angel Olsen. And the album is Big Time. I can't say that I'm sorry when I don't feel so wrong. And last time around, she was kind of moving in a synthy direction. And this time, she's made kind of her version of Cat Power's The Greatest, this really warm Americana-influenced album that really leans on her voice, this beautiful instrument that really, you know, in another life could have made her a big country star if she wanted to be, probably. So it has that Patsy Cline, Lucinda Williams kind of big lonesome thing to it, even with 
Roy Orbison or something. It's an absolute knockout of an album. I think the only thing I would say is it kind of leans a little hard on the slow tempo stuff. You either have to be in the mood for that or not. It doesn't really give you a lot of relief from that. It's a terrific album. This is the album that she's been kind of working her way towards and waiting to make since her first album came out in you know 2013 or 2014. I feel like the album since then, Angel Olsen has been kind of looking for the right context for her voice, trying out different ways of supporting this kind of really remarkable lead vocal approach. And I feel like she hit on the, on the formula here. She really hit the goldmine. That kind of those rich, lush, layered country type singer-songwriter arrangements just work wonders next to her voice. It's a really incredible, really emotionally affecting kind of listen. You listen to the title track, Big Time. Good morning, kisses, giving you all mine. You listen to a song like Ghost. Tell me how I should feel. How can these are these kind of classic sounding songs where you feel like you put on, as you said, like a Roy Orbison or a Patsy Cline or even a Willie Nelson record from, you know, 60, 50 or 60 years ago. It's really just mind blowing how well she nails that sound. She's just doing these kind of really commanding, powerful vocal performances in exactly the right environment to kind of highlight what's great about her as a singer. And also kind of near the, the top of the most important indie albums is Barty Strange's Farm to Table really unique and interesting artist, really kind of pretty singular. Yeah, what a, what a great record. I mean, so Bartiz Strange is someone who, if you followed indie rock in the last few years, you might have started to hear his name around. You might have even seen him kind of play an opening set. He's open for people like Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus. And, you know, people who've been kind of waiting for him to make his next move and live up to this kind of really tremendous level of hype that had built up around him over the last two, three years. And he really delivered with, you know, with this album. You listen to songs like Heavy Heart. I never Song Mulholland Drive. These are just like incredibly tightly written, convincingly performed rock songs in a way that, you know, not that many artists are really able or willing to step up and do. I would also say if you haven't, if anyone who's listening to this hasn't seen Barty Strange perform live and you are thinking about it, you should. He is an incredible live musician. He and his band are a real deal rock band that brings you all of this kind of dynamic power, emotional intensity. His influences are like TV on the radio and national. And there's a song called Hold the Line that I think is actually dedicated to Gianna Floyd, the daughter of George Floyd. Take my life. Yeah, and that's an emotionally heavy subject, obviously a difficult subject to write about well, and, and he writes about those feelings with such sensitivity and nuance, it's really moving to hear. And he seems to, in general, combine a unique kind of set of influences. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on this album. You know, Barty Strange has said in interviews that he kind of wants to be able to do everything, and you can hear it. There are songs like Cosines, where he's rapping. Damn, just got out the band. Universal hit me about some tips I need. There's songs where he's singing through auto-tune. There's a song with like an EDM drop on there. He's kind of trying to show you that he can do it all, but underlying all of it is this really kind of classic and impressive rock chops and, and songwriting style. You know, Barty Strange has talked a lot in interviews about how much it meant to him as a kid growing up in Oklahoma to see TV on the radio on TV performing around 2006 and how that kind of opened up this world for him and how much he wants to be able to kind of open up that space for any kids who are watching him today, you know, black and brown kids. He wants to be that role model and, and show that there's no limit to what, you know, anyone can do. And I think he's really doing an incredible and, and remarkable job of just showing that the sky's the limit. A band that you've been behind for some time is Sunflower Bean, and their album is Head Full of Sugar. They're another Brooklyn band. There's moments in this album like the song Stand By Me that really push into something close to commercial pop in a really cool way. When we Makes you so happy to see something like this happen. They're a band from New York that's been really grinding it out, playing tons of shows, showing a lot of promise on their first two records, and they really cashed all that in on, on this third album, expanding their range in incredible ways. They're still a band that has an incredible lead guitarist who still plays guitar solos. That's something that's not that common. They do well. But they also, you're right, they also are kind of unafraid to take on a poppier sound and really own it on songs like Stand By Me or Post Love. <laughs> Thank you. 
so the band always this is a peek into the future i guess you have an advance of their next album blue rev that's coming out in october and you're already ready to deem this one of the best albums of 2022 yes and this album doesn't come out until october and i'm sorry to kind of tease everyone this way but this album is so so good they're this kind of canadian indie pop band they're really steeped in this classic sense of melody you know they remind you maybe of bands like camera obscure or bell and sebastian it's been about five years since their last album there's a lot of anticipation among the always fan community and i can i can say that this album is really going to meet those expectations and deliver molly rankin who's the lead singer and main songwriter in that band has these just incredibly you know sharp witty sort of character studies that she writes with these incredibly catchy you know melodies great kind of jangly guitars since even some kind of surprising shoegaze influences that you can hear on the first single, which is out now, this song called Pharmacist. Which I, I encourage everyone to listen to. It almost kind of sounds like my bloody Valentine, uh, which is surprising for them, but really cool. You're very fortunate that there is at least one song out, because otherwise we were going to make you sing some samples. So you've lucked out. Cool. Well, that's something to look forward to. Another band that's been around for a while, and you know, I think had gotten to the point where people just don't aren't looking for new music from them. But actually, this isn't their first very good album of recent years. Interpol are still making very good music. The other side of make-believe, and this album's really strong. Yeah, this Interpol album is is fantastic. I, I think you're right that people kind of take them for granted in a way, and they have actually made a quietly great series of records since their original bassist left now 10 years ago. They've really reinvented themselves as a trio. You can say uh, his name. He's not Voldemort. You can, you can, it is Voldemort. I, yeah. <laughs> Carlos D. left the band. Was he even a creative force? behind the band or just an image? He, he wrote all of the bass lines on their first album. It's true that, you know, if a bassist leaves a band, you're not always like, oh no, what's the band going to do? But that was a real question for, for Interpol and they, they, to their credit, really figured out a, a way forward. He held down a lot of the sort of sneering hipster image that they had at the time. He was their repository of dickish cool. And so without them, all they had to left was, you know, just the songwriting, which was actually always better than maybe people sometimes gave it credit for. And they really doubled down on it. And I think it's really impressive to make an album yeah. Let's go to this point in their career. I think that's right, that Interpol is not necessarily a record that 20 years ago people would have predicted would become kind of almost a legacy act where they're you know, still doing it after two decades, but they, they are, and they're, they're great. I mean, you listen to a song like the song Fables. The song Tony from this new album. Those songs are as good as practically any Interpol song I can think of. Those are just great, well-crafted songs with this kind of fantastically moody environment and, and feeling. And, you know, it's it, not necessarily an album that I expected to love as much as I did. And Soccer Mommy, who I've liked f- since she first came out. That's actually a, a person named Sophie Allison. But Soccer Mommy is one of these sort of one woman band name situations. I think this is her best record, sometimes forever. Yeah, this Soccer Mommy album is is so great. You know, you listen to a song like Shotgun and that's just has this kind of classic, you know, alt rap feeling to it that she really nails. It's a surprising record for her in some ways. She worked with this producer, Daniel LaPatton, who's really this kind of weirdo, edgy, electronic genius kind of guy on his own. He's also known for working closely with The Weeknd. Those are two things, neither of which you'd really associate with Soccer Mommy, but they kind of work together in a really fascinating and great way where there, there are times on this album where the album kind of falls down this unexpected rabbit hole in a way that ends up being really surreal and cool. You listen to a song like Unholy Affliction, and it starts off as a pretty straightforward indie rock song, and then it just twists and turns into this cool, trippy, electronic bass thing that's happening there. Really, really cool, surprising development from Soccer Mommy. That's the third track, I think. And when I got to that part, it was already a really good album. But I was like, okay, we're actually going to some interesting new territory here. I mean, I think Sophie Allison, the the songwriter behind Soccer Mommy, she's a lot darker and more complicated than people maybe always give her credit for. It's really rewarding to hear her exploring that kind of stuff on this album. Kurt Vile's Watch My Moves is a great record. And if you're interested in that one, I'd encourage you to check out the Rolling Stone Music Now episode where he and I go deep into the album. Maybe talk a bit about Say Sumi 
Sumi, The Last Thing Left. Yeah, Say Sumi are a really great indie rock band from South Korea. They couldn't sound more different from what people in the United States might expect from current music coming out of South Korea. They're this really kind of classicist, traditional indie rock band. They kind of sound a little bit like Yo La Tango. Beautiful songwriting, beautiful performances. The song's still here from that album. It's the second song on the album. One of the best songs of the year, if you ask me. There's also a single called Around You where they go in a kind of catchy or more upbeat direction that's really great to hear. such a great, great band that I really encourage anyone who loves classic indie rock from the 90s to check out. You know, the band Empath, they're a band from Philadelphia that I love and I've advocated for 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 the last few years. They put out a great new record called Visitor. They have their origins as this kind of amazing psychedelic punk band making this kind of chaotic, awesome noise. Uh, On this album, it's their second full-length album, and they focus that sound in a little bit more, bring a little more clarity to it. In a really great way, there's a song called Elvis Comeback Special funny name for a song, but a really great, catchy, excellent song from from Empath, this great band from Philly. And I did want to mention something that just came out, which is Hellfire, the third album from the London band Black Midi. Listen, the sweet peals of moonlight induce love-making on the streets tonight. I love this band. They are not for everyone, perhaps, just a super bizarre experimental band. This album sometimes sounds like big band jazz as recreated by a bunch of, like, prog rock pirates. It's wild. It's kind of bracing. It's noisy. If you're in the mood for that kind of thing, there isn't anything better right now. But anyway, Simon, thanks so much for joining me. That's a pretty good look at the year in Indy so far. Absolutely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So Justin Bieber is going back on the road. He's resuming his European tour after a Ramsey Hunt diagnosis. The half of his face was paralyzed, serious stuff, but he seems to have recovered. He's back on the road. So the European dates are happening. He is supposedly also going to reschedule the U.S. dates he postponed, but those actually haven't been put back on the calendar yet. So we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, and we're very happy that Justin is feeling better. But it seemed like opportunity to look at the state of the Biebs. We have our friend Brittany Spanos. Welcome back, Brittany. Thanks for having me. It's interesting. This tour, it must be noted, in the U.S. was originally going to be stadiums. And it was downgraded to arenas, which was pretty embarrassing. And then, because he just has this kind of career that's full of ups and downs, he then turned around and really sold out this arena tour because he started to have hits again with his 2021 album, Justice. Yeah, I mean, he's had sort of a weird decade of touring. Looking at his history with it, he's an excellent performer, all that stuff. But of course, there was just like so much going on in his life and so much messiness, both on the Believe in Purpose world tours. And this is the first time he's gone out since then. So he was supposed to do a big tour for his album Changes that came out in early 2020. And he was actually one of the first people to cancel the tour. And people thought it was because of COVID, but it wasn't really selling. That album didn't have a lot of of hits and a lot of reports later came out that it was because there was just not a lot of interest in in the tour the way that it had been before it wasn't selling out the way that he usually has this one has the benefit of justice has 
done really well. The, there's been a few hit singles, of course, Peaches, Grammy nominations, all of that. Are there, in fact, still believers? There's Justin Bieber fans. Definitely not the way it used to be. Yeah. And here's the proof, by the way, and you, you can disagree. If you said something mildly bad about Justin Bieber seven years ago, yeah. you would get swarmed on Twitter. Now, oh, yeah. you, now you can say whatever you want about him and they don't come. And that to me is the number one sign that the, the real believers are gone. But there's no doubt that there are tons of Justin Bieber fans out there. And to expand on what you were saying, Changes, which came out in February of 2020 and really, you know, kind of flopped wasn't super well received, didn't really generate huge hits. I was personally particularly not a fan of the leadoff single, Yummy. Yeah, you got that yummy, 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 yummy. Yeah, you got that He had a very rapid and savvy comeback from that with Justice, which was released just over a year later in March of 2021. And that album, while it has some very silly moments, is much stronger. Peaches kind of killed it. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my chick up to the north, yeah. Badass bitch. Get- Lonely kind of killed it. Cause I've had everything, but no one's listening. And, that's just- and the album as a whole has done enormously well on streaming. But at the same time, though, you have to compare him to an era when his believers were the strongest force in pop fandom. Yeah, like I think there's still, I mean, any any artist always has like a really passionate portion of their fan base. I do think it's dwindled a lot. I think the believers were so young when they were very, very active. And I think a lot of them grew up. He hasn't been like Taylor in the way that he's able to attract younger fans who are just as passionate, you know, like with every album. Because he also hasn't taken a lot of time in between. He's like, done a lot of you know, mildly to extremely shitty things over the course of his career. And I think it's been hard to both maintain the people that have been there since they were really young to also continue to grow like our super young fan base. So there aren't really believers in that same way. But there are some if you go to like Selena Gomez's comments, they're still she's still dealing with believers and stuff like that. But it's not more unusual than sort of like the more extreme factions of different fandoms, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of people who are quote unquote teen sensations like he was, you know, wouldn't be nearly this big by now. He's defied gravity that way. I do credit him and his team for that. Purpose was such a big album for him. When you think about that era and sort of that run between Believe and Purpose, he just like was completely dominating radio. He was doing all those features. He's working with like Diplo and with Skrillex. As pop was turning more EDM towards dance music, he was the voice of a lot of that. He was a pop guy who was like, willing to hop on all these tracks and be a part of that scene on top of maintaining a lot of it. But since then, I mean, hadn't released a lot of any really music since Purpose until Changes right. and kind of was refocusing his life. If you're not super active, it's like other other people come in and other all of it changes. And so, yeah, it's a, it's kind of wacky what happened in, in just a few years' time. Yeah, that song Love Yourself is an undeniably really good song. For all the times that you rain on my parade and all the clubs you get in using my name. Maybe that's actually Ed Sheeran, which is really funny. It's, it's probably my favorite song written by Ed Sheeran, actually. I mean, and that I mean that was such a wacky period where it was like that Ed Sheeran sound on top of this very like Skrillex kind of like EDM was simultaneously big. And the fact that Bieber was able to wield both in such a way and have one of his biggest albums ever after sort of career ending controversies. Purpose should not have been as big as it was, like in terms of what he was coming back from, which was the, the Anne Frank house, she would have been a believer thing. The like, his like pet monkey and that sort of weird animal rights controversy around it. I mean, it's endless. We did an entire cover story about his scandals and controversies. At that point, he was out of control for a while. But it's, it's such a great point. He took five years between albums. That's an eternity in pop. I can only imagine how much his team was freaking out as each year passed. If you had a fan who was 12 years old when Purpose came out, they're 17 by the time he returns in 2020. That's a big problem. I still kind of do with a lot of Bieber stuff is like, it just felt like sort of like an ethical question of like how much he was mm. being pushed out. Like I think a lot of people, that Purpose tour was so massive and a lot of people were very concerned about his mental health and his physical health on it. It seemed very clear towards the end that he did not want to keep doing it. Mm. And he's had a lot of health issues since then. So I think like it just sort of became like, was this the healthiest choice to like have him after kind of coming back from the brink of a lot of, you know, I mean, it was 
a pretty sort of like hazy variety of things he was going through in the years prior, sort of, you know, claims of drug addiction and all this other stuff. But it just seemed like he was being hauled out on tour. And it doesn't yeah. seem like he, he wants to do as much of that constantly. But he's right. also, he's a great performer. He's a really great dancer. He's, you know, a great singer. Like, you know, he's just always been a really good performer. Is he a great singer? I think he's a great singer. <laughs> I don't think he's, you know, like the greatest vocalist of all time. But I think in terms of what he's able to deliver. I think he's just a, an excellent entertainer. I think he's come a long way as a singer. One thing that really struck me is the way that Billie Eilish, standing in for a whole generation, sees Justin Bieber as like mm-hmm. an angel sent from the heavens, like that scene in the documentary where yeah. she's just weeping uncontrollably meeting him. <laughs> that generation sees him as something, who, who grew up on him as little kids, yeah. like sees him in a whole different way as like, I can't even understand. You know, they watched all his movies and he was this this little blonde angel who they invested all their crushes and hopes and dreams into. And two things, it made me realize like just how differently people who literally grew up with him feel. And also it did make me feel bad for him because being the repository of all that definitely is, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was, of course, like he was such a beacon of having to hold up a lot of good morals and a lot of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you know, like, yeah. early, like early in his career, he basically had to be sort of like the kind of goody two shoes type of pop star and kind of uphold a lot of ideas of being a, a good, good Christian boy who never acts up. And then he like completely acted up and Total like meltdown. a symptom of like a lot of pop is like you have to suddenly grow up and make a big splash as like an adult pop star to shake any sort of sense that you have a teen audience or a very i mean his audience was even teens they were in elementary school like to shake that you have to make a big splash and do something really big that's what happened with all the disney kids that's why miley did like can't be tamed and bangers and selena did that and and demi did that and the jones brothers they all did that right before him so you know, he, I think he did it in a big way and it seemed like it was not, I think it, it went further beyond his public image where it was kind of becoming a part of his personal life too. It's interesting because Chris Pratt has obviously received an endless and sort of mildly hilarious backlash for various things, including his apparent affiliation with Hillsong, which is a church that has some problematic aspects, including some allegedly homophobic teachings. And Bieber was deeply involved in that but he's since distanced himself from that particular church. I don't think people knew that much about Hillsong at that point, because this was like around 2014, 2015, that he was super, super involved with it. Like him and Carl Lentz, who is, has been deeply disgraced since then, were yeah. best friends and like hanging out all the time. And so I don't think people really knew that much about it, because that was kind of like a, a weird moment where there was a lot of these hip churches that were popping up and no one really knew a lot about them. It's very LA to go to these hip churches that were right. sort of like youth pastory type of places. At the beginning of last beginning of last year, Bieber made it clear that he's no longer a member of Hillsong. And yeah. Then in, a, in a GQ interview, he said vaguely, "I think so many pastors put themselves on this pedestal. The reality is, every human being has the same access to God. So I guess he's been somewhat deprogrammed from Hillsong, but still yeah. super super religious. He's kind of. I mean, he was the one that put Hillsong on the map, really. Like he's the one that made it sort a of a, a bigger thing, just because." It was like the idea that Carl Lentz was the person who like helped him have this like born again sort of like I'm saved now and like I no longer do the bad things that I do and I'm averse to the bad influences I had before. And so I think that was kind of the moment when people more widely recognized what Hillsong was. I, you know, I try to be sympathetic and I really do Peaches, which is kind of a great song, but he's saying that yeah. ludicrous piano version of it. Get my peaches out in Georgia. Not understand like like he's totally (laughs) oblivious to the comedy of those lyrics being slowed down and sung in this really serious way. Like like when he's like badass bitch, it's just so ridiculous. But he really is on some level the Andy Samberg character in pop. No, I'm about to say like literally that film every year ages so well because I feel like it was such a perfect parody film of like I feel like that era pop music and all the pop musicians from that era but specifically obviously justin and he kind of proves it right every single year i mean like just it's it's tough i mean even getting super religious even like the monkey like everything he does unfortunately 
you try to be sympathetic, try to take it seriously, but at the same time, it all just seems like it's in, it's, yeah, it's like Andy Samberg and Popstar, like, it's just like, yeah. like, like, you know, like, like, the fact that he, like, found this pastor, this doofy youth pastor, and that yeah. was his best friend, now he's like, I, I realize now that, you know, it's just everything about it is like, you want to be sympathetic, but it's also hilarious, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lest we forget the, the use of Martin Luther King Jr. speech on justice. Yes, exactly, like, like, I mean, come on. An album entirely about just, like, loving your hot wife is like i was like i don't know if this fits i don't know if this is the right place for this badass bitch shout out to him okay like it's just like (laughs) listen it's part of what makes him super entertaining since he was so little like you just lose sense of reality and that's like we just we just have to accept that's how a lot of people function is like you just lose a sense of reality after a certain point if you're that level of famous that young like right and that's the reality for justin like he's just you know he's had no version of like a normal life for the majority of his conscious life. Right. I will say something amazing, the tiny thing that made me think that he's a lot sharper and smarter and funnier than I ever thought, which is there's this TikTok sound. I'm sure you're well aware. It's, it's kind of died down now, but this thing of like immediately no, where you see something and you're like immediately no. And I just thought that was so funny. And I, I was repeating it for weeks and I didn't realize it was fucking Justin Bieber came up with that. <laughs> it was in some James Corden thing or something. Yeah. I think James Corden was singing for him and he's like immediately no. And I was like, yeah. I was like, shit, I've been quoting a Justin Bieber comedy bit for a month. Because I don't care. Yeah, immediately no. My- immediately well, no. Immediately no. He could be really funny. Like, I, I loved that video that for the Drake DJ Khaled song Pop Star, where it's like Justin doing sort of like the, like a peak sort of right. 2015 Justin impression and rapping along to the song. DJ Khaled! Bitch is calling my phone like I'm locked up nonstop. From the plane to the fucking helicopter, yo. I think he could be really funny. Like, he's really entertaining. He's a great performer. Like, I kind of wish he had taken different directions in his career, like, especially around, like, purpose and everything. Like, I think there's a lot that could have been different in terms of, like, him being able to maintain it and him being able to, like, you know, show off a lot of what he's capable of doing. Like, he's a natural-born entertainer. Like, the reason why he was discovered is because he played the drums so well and so, like, you know, he's just, like, so charming to watch do this. That is how he became a superstar. And look, I gotta say, I've never been more convinced than I am right now that Justin Bieber is going to have a really long career. He's going to be a pop star pretty much for as long as he wants, it seems. More or less totally unrelated, but what do you think about what's going on with Kanye? He keeps canceling performances. He's now canceled Rolling Loud after working a very long time to set up this performance. It was hinted that it was because he wanted to have Travis Scott as a guest and the venue declined because of the people who died at Astroworld last year. But that scenario has now been denied by the same person, the Rolling Loud founder who presented that scenario or seemed to present it. So it's very muddy. But I think the question is if he's going to have difficulty touring after this, because you start to get a reputation among business people as someone who's not reliable. It definitely goes deeper than even the festivals this year. It seems like a lot of his... His music vibe over the last like five years has been not being super reliable in terms of oh yeah uh, turning around any sort of product you know and but but you know what the thing is you can get away with not releasing the album when you said you would but not with hey I'm gonna headline this festival and then three weeks oh, beforehand yeah. being like nope like like because how long before Coachella did he cancel it was like a week before too like he threatened it a month before and I, I mean, threatened it you a cannot while before. do that you can't even Axel no Rose, yeah. yeah you're getting to almost beyond Axel Rose territory. I mean, Axel Rose, like, Axel Rose, I think the worst thing he ever did was a show where he just, he just somehow didn't show up, supposedly <laughs> never left the last city, he was watching a boxing match or something, something went wrong and he just didn't show up and that almost killed his touring career, that was in the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, so this is, I guess, this is actually maybe one step less bad than that because at least he gave them a week's notice but yeah. still you get to the point where it's like, how can we book you for a festival if you're going to cancel the week before you're going to cost us millions of dollars yeah i mean i think he's just so i think he's been so used to like getting away with that with albums you know and like being like you know i can promise it on the state and turn in whenever and i think he's gotten used to performing on his own terms with sunday service like all of his shows have been sort of these semi-planned kind of self-produced things and I think he's just gotten used to getting away with that kind of stuff for years now. His last full tour was was the St. Pablo tour that was in 2016. He hasn't toured since then, which is like kind of crazy to think about. I think he thinks he can get away with certain stuff or like as maybe, I don't know, maybe he's also planning something that is not going to actually come through. It seems like his sort of vision of what 
he's capable of doing now is much bigger than it is realistic. Again, you know, I don't think him and Justin have any sense of reality. Among the other connections, Kanye West is responsible for perhaps the single worst moment of Justin Bieber in the last couple of years when he stood on stage next to Marilyn Manson at Sunday service last Halloween. Which Oh, yeah, I forgot. He um, really did not do Justin any favors with that one. Yeah, right next um, to each other. So bad. Yeah. Like yeah. right after Mel Manson was facing all these these terrible accusations of sex crimes, which he's denied. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, like, I think even, I don't know, even like the Donda 2 rollout where he was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium or something and just like took over. Like even that was kind of a, a mess in terms of. And that was like his own thing. Like that was like his own production. Like it was just like a complete mess of trying to get, you know, this album played for people. It seemed like he had something innovative going with that, which was sort of like making money off of finishing an album. Like yeah. like, like that was at least something. Maybe the album wasn't finished, but at least the event happened. You know, it's possible he doesn't quite, like you said, he's so used to canceling things, so used to doing literally whatever he wants. He doesn't realize how bad it is to cumulatively canceled two enormous festival appearances at the last minute. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad for your career. I feel like he doesn't really have a team anymore. Like, does he have a manager anymore? Like, I don't think he has his publicist. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Justin, for better or worse, like, he will rarely cancel. Like, uh, it took, like, a very extreme diagnosis for him to actually postpone any of these dates. Like, he, like, again, like, on the Purpose Tour, like, he was not... He was clearly not feeling it towards the end and like did not cancel. Like he will rarely cancel a date. Well, he, we, we, yeah. wish, we wish them both the best. Yeah, they're two of like our best live performers. Like that's the thing too is like you can't deny the fact that a Kanye West show is always oh, going to yeah. be good no matter your feelings on Kanye West. Like the St. Pablo tour was very, I mean, it was super innovative and super right. amazing like with the floating stage and the way that that was structured. That was a show that no one else was doing and... I mean, I think it's hard to top a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think he wants to keep doing bigger things that may maybe aren't going to be, I know, as easy to do at a festival where there's a fixed stage and you have to adhere to what the fixed stage is set up like because other people are performing on this fixed stage. And so well, it's, it's kind of it's, it's kind of bad to realize that he, he became he was obsessed with that documentary Jodorowsky's Dune. Jodorowsky's Dune and of course the thing about the movie that that documentary is about is that it never happened and that should yeah. probably scare anyone who's, who's doing business <laughs> with Kanye West going forward. Anyway our, our, our best to them both. Stay yeah. away from Marilyn Manson. Brittany thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And finally I wanted to finish off with a few excerpts from my interview with Wolfgang Van Halen the frontman, of course of Mammoth WVH. we Put that interview online last week and it got a lot of attention, so I thought it'd be fun to hear some of it. So here's Wolf on his next album as Mammoth WVH. His debut under that band name came out last year. I wrote a bunch of ideas during quarantine. Mm. And then, you know, random things here and there. I'll just have an idea and I'll, I'll just bring out my voice memos on my phone and stuff. And then since I've every bit of time off I've had in between touring and the past year, you know, two weeks there, two weeks here, three weeks there, I started making demos just actually on this computer right here. So I've just accumulated a bunch of ideas that I'm really excited to, to start working on. Some of them are kind of different, which is exciting. I want to keep challenging myself and not just keep doing this, the same stuff, you know, not, you know, not crazy different, but just different vibes and stuff, maybe even a little heavier, maybe even a little lighter, you know, I don't know, just kind of widen that, that breadth of what the, the band can be more popular, more balanced, you know, but then also, you know, more on the other side, heavier. And, and stuff like that. I, I listen to heavy music more than anything. I fucking, I love Mashuga. Mashuga is like my favorite band. <laughs> but then also it's like, I love, uh, you know, like Jimmy Eat World is also one of my favorite bands. And I think they're, they're melodies and they, you know, so it's whatever, you know, I like everything. I, there's nothing more, nothing I hate more than gatekeeping in music, you know, or just gatekeeping in general. And there were a lot of reports out there about a tribute to Wolf's late dad, Eddie Van Halen. There were even reports that there could be a tribute tour names like Joe Satriani, were thrown around working with his uncle Alex Van Halen. Wolf explained what was going on with that. I don't like to speak negatively about people, but there are are some people that make it very difficult to do anything when it comes to Van Halen, which is after being at Van Halen for the long time that I was, I really have strived to have a, an environment where there is no walking on eggshells and there is no personality that you have to deal with. It's just guys having fun, making music, you know, 
and just having a good time. But you know, from my time in Van Halen, there there was always stuff, stuff. There's always just stuff that gets in the way from just the making music and 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 having a good time. And I think that's what happened. I would love to just sit here and say everything and, yeah. and, and say the truth, but that's the thing is that some you know there are plenty of interviews my dad did where he just he straight up just said everything and people hated him for it and thought he was lying. I could just say shit, but in this day and age, people have already decided how they feel about things, facts or not. So there's nothing I could say to convince anyone otherwise on on how they feel. I can say the facts, but not align with how certain people feel. I know how Van Halen fans get. They are very, very motivated by by which specific people they like and what in, in the band. And it's not worth, it's just not worth it. Just, we made an attempt and some people can be hard to work with and uh, and make it not happen. When you say we, what would your involvement have been? I would just say when it comes to Van Halen and, and decision-making overall and what Van Halen does, it's Al and then I'm there in support of him. I help make the decisions with Al that, that, that dad would be there to make because I'm in there in his stead. The idea is basically it's that you gave your blessing to this attempt that didn't work. To a certain extent, it didn't even get to that point. It was in such an early stage that it never even got off the ground. Hmm. That's too bad. <laughs> I would really like to do something for pop. Was it a tribute concert or some kind of tour? It was not a tour. So it was a one-off tribute concert and even that they couldn't get. Mm, that's too bad. Surprise. You know, yeah. look at anything that's happened with Van Halen. The fact that that in my tenure in Van Halen, we managed to do three tours, put an album of original material and a live album out is a fucking miracle. When it comes to Mammoth, it's just like, grow the fuck up. Like, we're here to have a good time. Like, why the fuck would you want to ruin that? Uh, and apparently some people are, are are too full of themselves to, to, to let other people have a good time. There's tremendous amounts of misinformation out there because I think a lot of people thought that what was happening with Satriani was a tour, not a concert, a whole thing. And so that was the, just, that was never, that was, that's a total misunderstanding, just to be clear. Al's mentality, because, you know, people love to pin every decision Van Halen's ever made on dad, but Al, Al's the brain. Al has been the guy forever. He's the dude when it comes to Van Halen. Dad just wanted to play guitar, but his mentality and it's the mentality that Van Halen took for the entirety of its band is that there's nothing worth talking about unless it's happening. So the reason that nothing has been talked about from Van Halen and, you know, the official channels is because nothing's happened. And I know how, how that will stir people up and, and piss them off, but that's how the operation is run. When Robert Plant wouldn't tour with Led Zeppelin, they auditioned all kinds of singers. They had Steven Tower in there. He told me all about that, but like none of that, just because they jam a couple of times, doesn't mean anything really comes of that. Like that's just uh, like, not at all. And just because one person decided to talk about it when they weren't supposed to, it fucked everything up. Is is that really? No, that wasn't the end of it. That was, it was already not happening. Okay. And, and it would be, if someone talk. were to think that a singer with three initials is the, was the problem, that wouldn't be wildly off is what you're referring, that what you're referring to. Right? I would say, do your research on the history of Van Halen and come to your own conclusion. And that is our show for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. We are, of course, a podcast. We're also on Sirius XM's volume channel 106. But download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us five stars on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts if you like what you heard. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.